Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories, and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Thanks for being with me here today as we endure the heat together, but more importantly, we rediscover the things that are important. What are the things that you are supposed to be responsible for, and how do you hold yourself accountable to those things that you're responsible for? That's what we want to talk about today. There are so many things in this world that come at us, that assail us even if you will, but there are only a certain number of things that we, each of us individually, should be responsible for. And today we want to talk about holding ourselves accountable in our lives and our business to the things that we should be responsible for. And also then letting go of the things that maybe we had wrong, maybe aren't ours to carry, and really truly being able to show up as powerfully and as best as we can possibly be as ourselves, as we live as a thriving entrepreneur. We've got three really great guests and I'm gonna jump right into it here. So let's jump into it as we discover how to be accountable for the things that we should be responsible for. Join me in welcoming Jeffrey Klubeck. Hey Jeffrey, how are you doing today? Fantastic, man. How are you, Steve? I am good, thank you. So tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. <laughs> well, it's always in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? <laughs> different, different people will answer that differently, how I show up in the world. But um, I'll tell you what, um, you, you, the, the first thing that I always say about myself is I'm a lucky man. I got my wife and my kids. So wake up every day figuring out how to deserve them. And next thing I know, I'm out of bed helping people, whether it's coaching, consulting, teaching, training. Um, those are the delivery mechanisms. You know, I, I'm all about personal professional growth. I'm about getting people engaged in what they're doing, motivated to see it through and accountable for the results. So those are the three pillars of what I do professionally. Um, I am a retired adjunct professor of communication. I taught public speaking and all of the communication modules for 20 years before retiring in 2017. And I'd still be in the classroom today, but my, my coaching speaking training took me around the world and I couldn't commit to a classroom you know, brick and mortar assignment anymore, because I was traveling four continents, 12 countries, etc. So um, that's, that's, you know, the, the, the bulk of it, I think I'm a communication guy. I, 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 I'm, I'm a jovial jokester, I'd crack a lot of jokes, not all of them are funny. <laughs> you know, I think personal professional growth is hard enough. I think we should have some fun too. Absolutely. So, um, you know, your book is called Get a Clue in 52. Mm -hmm. um, I am looking forward to it. It looks like you have a couple of different versions of it here. Yeah. So tell us first just about kind of the core concept of getting a clue in 52. All right. Well, it's, it's basically, you know, for, for those of you that are out there that haven't written a book yet, like just write a book. And you, you people have said that just write a book. And oh, it's, it's easy for you to say, but it kind of is really like everybody knows a lot about something. And, and so um, a, a colleague of mine, Marissa Friedman, she says, Jeff, just write a book, think about five categories, 10 tips in each category, boom, you've got a book. And I was like, okay, all right, let's give this a go. I sat down and I brainstormed the categories, networking, sales, marketing, communication, and accountability. And then I just went to, to work, working on at least 10 tips in each category. I threw an extra two tips in the marketing section. And then I had 52, get a clue in 52. It's, you know, a tip per week. And it's cute and it's cheeky and it's, it's not a book you have to read in a linear form. You could go into the table of contents and find the tip that you need. And um, I've had a lot of fun promoting it. I, what I would do is I would go on Sunday nights on Zoom, kind of like we're on right now as we record this. And um, I would read one tip from the book and then stream it into a social media channel. I did that two years in a row, streaming into Facebook one year and YouTube the next year. So it's easy to find if you search Get a Clue in 52 on, on YouTube or, or Facebook, you'll see all 52 recordings of me reading one tip from the book and then interacting with people that join live and 
it was a lot of fun and it was low cost, low hassle, just show up to the zoom on a Sunday night in my hoodie. And even if I was coming off the golf course, having, you know, a couple of drinks earlier in the day, I would just show up and read the tip and, you know, interact with whoever was there. It's like a real fun, casual way, but it ended up being really good marketing and the tips are really good. And then you have a specific entrepreneur edition. Yeah. Um, yeah. So- that came out this year. That's with my co-author. He's a good client. He's been a client of mine for many years. He's a great friend. Vipul Dial. He's all about entrepreneur, go-giver, like serial go-giver, serial entrepreneur. He's all about charity and he's all about entrepreneurialism. Um, he and his wife, Rena, uh, opened their 15th business um, last year. And um, I, when I started working with Vipul, he was like on his sixth or seventh business. So it's been fun to be a part of his entrepreneurial journey. And I helped, I, I was able to help him with his first book, Give Your Way to the Top. And he made it a 52 tip book and he read it once a week online. And I was there to support him for that. And then when he got done with his and I'd finished two full years of reading mine, the first edition, second edition, I said, Hey man, why don't we do one together? We'll do the entrepreneur edition. I'll come up with five categories and 52 new tips and uh, we'll collaborate and we'll, we'll get online every week and promote it. So that's what we're doing this year on Tuesday night. In fact, in fact, we've got another episode tonight. We're just going to get on Zoom, read another tip from the book, and um, whoever joins us on Zoom can interact with us live and do some Q&A or some, get some free coaching. And then, um, you know, otherwise we're letting people know about it. So the categories for the Entrepreneur Edition are in this order, in fact, uh, personal branding. Tonight is, in fact, is tip number seven or eight, I think eight, tip number eight in personal branding section. I think it's tip number eight this is the eighth Tuesday of the year. But then we go into business acumen, like being savvy at owning a business. And the third category is business ownership. Like what are all the nuts and bolts of like starting, getting registered, you know, the, the nuts and bolts, the logistics of starting a business, not how savvy you are at running one. That's the previous category. But then the fourth category is work-life balance. I'm sorry, that's the fifth category. The fourth category is leadership and influence. So those are the five categories. And we're having a lot of fun with that. We're set, we've read seven tips so far and tip number eight is tonight. And you do it uh, live interactive um, so that people can make comments, ask questions. Yeah, yeah. We're streaming live into the Facebook group, Get a Clue in 52. Um, so people could comment if they don't want to get onto Zoom or have their voice heard or, you know, worry about their video and all of that. Other people join us on the Zoom side. So they're there with us live and they open up their video and they open up their microphones. And after we're done reading the tip, then they comment or feedback or share stories or share um, praise like, oh, thank you. That really helps me for this reason. Or, hey, I have a question about this. Can you help me with that? So we always, you know, you know, we stay on for about 45 minutes every week and uh, it only takes a couple of minutes to read the tip. And then we're available to people that join on the Zoom side. And um, the Zoom link is really easy if you end up wanting to give it to people or if people just look for Get a Clue in 52, you'll see promotions for it. And we always include the Zoom link to join. Pretty much the only thing you need to know is Clue is spelled K-L-U. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, as long you. as you get that, you'll probably be all right. Yeah, so well, give said, us well a, said. Yeah, give us a little taste of what one of the, you know, what one of the two minute tips is. Well, um, from the first book, I, the, 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 one of my favorite tips that comes to mind right now, because um, I'm actually writing another book um, about it. it, you know, it, it showed up in tip form and get it the first get a clue in 52. And so if the, the, it's called the integrity game is the name of the new book that'll be coming out next month that I'm writing the integrity game. So one of my favorite tips of all time is tip number two in the accountability section of get a clue in 52, because it's about integrity. It lays out the 10 point model of integration or integrity. Like what are we integrating? What are we bringing together when we talk about integrity. And so integrity is a function of form of, it lives in the land of accountability, right? So tip number two in the accountability section is about integrity. And it's like the wireframe preview for an upcoming book that will that I'm coming out with uh, next month. Um, I don't know when you'll be releasing this recording, but it, it may be coming out after the fact, but March 31st, 2022 is the target date to release the integrity game. And it's such an important tip. It's, it's such a valuable tip that like I said I've, I've written a whole book around it and I'm going to launch a whole brand around it so all of the things that I've provided as get a clue in that packaging that's going to still be available for small and micro business owners and solopreneurs and so forth but I'm going to market um, the integrity game into associations and corporations and get um, high performance individuals teams and organizations 
up-leveling their, their, their culture of integrity, their culture of accountability by um, exercising integration on the 10 points across the model. So um, that's one that comes to mind. It's top of mind because I'm working on the integrity game. From the, um, the, the entrepreneurial uh, edition, the one that we're dealing with right now, we're in the personal branding section. And that's like kind of my, in the whole book, that's like most of my area of expertise. You know, I defer to Vipal on the business acumen and the, the, the business ownership. He's, he's got more experience there. So from the personal branding section, I would tell you to know the difference between, this is the one that we read last week, Steve, is know the difference between brand and branding. It seems so simple and elementary, but it, it, people get these terms confused. Like I'm going to brand you. I'm going to brand myself. Oh, I need to get branded or I'm going to brand... People use it in weird ways, and it's very simple. One is a noun, the other is a verb. Brand is your promise to the marketplace. Branding is how you deliver that promise to the marketplace. And now whether or not you have a good brand is whether or not you deliver on the promise you've delivered to the marketplace. Right? So a lot of people have a promise, deliver it, but don't deliver on the promise. Does that make sense? So a lot of times people choose Super Bowl ads to deliver their promise to the marketplace. Other times people choose print or billboard or on and on and on and on and on. So branding isn't just a logo or a design. It's what that what promise does that communicate? And then how are you delivering that promise is branding. And then whether or not you back it up and actually deliver, you know, actually perform up to what you've promised, that's going to either promote, enhance or kill your brand. So let's stick in the genre of, uh, you know, your personal brand. What would you say is the biggest mistake that people make when it comes to um, branding themselves? Ooh, uh, the biggest mistake is not paying attention to it. You know, like, like just ignoring it or somehow believing, oh, I don't need that. Branding is cheesy. I'm not into gimmicks. I, they're, they're, they don't want to do the work involved in, in what it takes to come up with a good brand or do branding well. And I'm not saying I'm an expert per se. I, I, I know more than the average bear, but, but people that um, in other words, tip number one in the book is branding is not a spectator sport. And so here's where I come from, from the land of communication, nonverbal communication is either intentional or unintentional. Sometimes I intend to do something nonverbally. Other times people just look at me and whatever my posture is, they can make a meaning of that. So in other words, communication is receiver-based. Remember earlier when I laughed, I said, uh, you said, how do you show up in the world? And I said, well, it depends on, <laughs> I don't know. It depends. You ask them, ask the world what they see. You know, in other words, communication is receiver-based. It doesn't matter what we intend or, or, or even if we intend to do nothing. The world is going to observe and make up their mind as to what it is they see. So the person that's making a really big mistake is the person that isn't putting any effort into branding that makes no promises to the marketplace, because that's now what people can expect from you is nothing. And I think, um, you know, that's one of the worst ways to live or to build a business is to make sure that nobody knows what to expect from you or worse, they know that they can expect nothing from you. And that's what people don't understand about branding. Branding is setting your expectations, setting expectations, letting people know what they can expect from you. And if you fail to put effort into that, they will either not know what to expect from you or know they can expect nothing from you. And, and both of those are, are brand slaughter. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you know, you. a yeah. lot of people struggle, I think, with step one, or maybe it's even step zero. And that's just the whole concept of knowing themselves well enough to know then what promise to make. Can, can you give us some tips, some secrets into how to really know what your purpose is, who you are, what you do? Well, first of all, play the integrity game. I mean, that's exactly what we want to do. One of the points on the 10 point model is purpose, you know, in, in coaching with us or in trainings or in workshops, we hold people accountable to knowing or declaring their purpose. And and, and people will avoid declaring purpose. Why? Because <laughs> they're afraid of everything they're not choosing. Well, I don't know if that's my purpose, because what about this other purpose over here that could be cool? Or what if I can't live up to that? Or all this weird stuff, right? Even if you change your purpose next week, you want to know what your purpose is today. Every day that you live without purpose is a day that you could be living out of integrity, okay? Um, but it's more than just purpose, Steve. The other thing that we want to um, get people really clear about and honest with themselves about is their gift. You know, what did, what, what are the God given gifts and what are man-made like 
What are the resources in our lives? What are people willing to give to us or share with us? Or what are we investing in on our own? You know, I think that God made me a good communicator, but I went and got a master's degree too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So now if I know my purpose, now I know my gifts. Now I'm getting closer to making a promise. Like if I'm a communicator, I shouldn't promise that I'm going to bring a new drug to market by injecting lab, uh, lab rats with serum. That would be a, a, a promise that would be out of integrity with my gifts. I'm a communicator. So I might promise I'll write one book a year, or I might promise um, that I'll you know, get five-star reviews if I'm the speaker at your event, or I might promise that I can take complex concepts and make them much more easier to understand. Those would be promises that are consistent with my gifts. Does that make sense, Steve? Absolutely, it does. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and left to our, you may be bringing up a great point, left to our own devices without somebody that's trained an expert in it, not as emotionally attached or what have you, um, without somebody like that asking the questions and shaping the path and being the sounding board and ideating, it's really hard. You know, it's really hard. Our self-talk gets in the way, our ego defense gets in the way. Uh, and again, communications receiver based. So it doesn't matter what we think or don't think about ourselves. Sometimes we have to go out and do market survey research and find out what people really think of us. Back to your question. I once had an exercise where I had to call 10 people and, you know, ask them to, you know, give three words. What are the first three words that come to mind when you think of me? And the, one of the words that showed up so much was energy, 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 energy. You know, that was a thing that showed up consistently, energy, fun, right? So, so sometimes we have to ask other people what's going on and, 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 and be open to the, the gifts that other people see in us, even if we may not be you know, seeing them for ourselves. There's also, of course, the element in there of um, being able to be open to what people say about you. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Um, most people will say that they are, um, and most people are. That doesn't mean that there won't still be a defensive reaction because defensive reactions are automatic. It's the same, like the same way we flinch if we hear something buzzing by our ear. We also flinch at information that's not immediately consistent with our sense of self. So if we have to learn, grow, be constructive, be reflexive, second guess, you know, even though we might logically say we're open to it, there's still going to be an automatic hardwired defense response to it. And the more mature we get uh, or the more hungrier we are to grow or our mindset for immunity to um, setbacks, you know, seeing them as opportunities rather than setbacks, you know, that type of thing. Um, then it's easier, but there's always a defense mechanism. Some people are just better at controlling it or, or tempering it or um, putting it in last place behind all of the growth-based motives to hear feedback. So for, for a person that wants to begin to get a clue, of course, obviously <laughs> they need to get your book, um, but what's something just from having listened to us that they could start doing right now today? Right now, today, if they want to like get it, huh. well, um, I would say consider an external accountability source on some level, right? Um, you know, who can you talk to? Like, I would ask all of your listeners that are listening, just who holds you accountable? And if, if, if you don't have a really good answer to that question, or if the person that holds you accountable, you know, the accountability itself is diluted because there's other ways that you're related to that person, other things they may want from you. So that gets in the way of their ability to like be honestly confrontational with you. Like, why are you doing that? Did you do that? Yes or no? Have you set a goal around that? Have you selected a strategy? Right? Um, what, you know, by when will that be done? Is there anything else you need to commit to? What are you putting off? You know, what are you putting off in favor, you know, in exchange for this being busy, you know, on and on and on. So these are you know, just a sampling of questions, but most people aren't trained to ask that stuff. And most people don't have a systematic approach to, to asking the right questions that that get people more productive. So, you know, try to you know, consider talking with a coach, working with a coach. You know, we've always offered two complimentary coaching sessions to anybody that's interested, you know, whether it's myself or any of the coaches that I've trained in the methodology, you know, anybody that wants it could get two complimentary coaching sessions from a coach I've trained. And, um, you know, that's another way to start. Of course, getting the book is a way to start. And then um, the last thing I would say is just keep asking yourself what you want. A lot of people automatically think about what they don't want, you know, and so then they attract it. 
there they, they they bring it to themselves right they create it when it's not even there because they're so afraid of it etc so i just think it's a really good very simple thing. what do i want what do i want what do i want keep asking yourself always ask yourself what do i want what do i want and let the mind start doing its natural thing which is seeing ways to go and get it and coaching can help a book can help a, you know going to see a keynote you know uh, audio cassettes you know that personal professional growth um, e-courses, just constantly, you know, go after it, get better, grow. Lots of, lots of different ways to get it, but you have to ask yourself the right question first. What do I want? Love that. So um, you mentioned two complimentary coaching sessions. How would a person uh, get in contact with you to do that? Yeah. If they go to get a clue.net, G E T A K L U.net they there should be a form on there to sign up for two comp sessions and there may even be a drop down you know i can i'm not gonna i can't promise you that i personally will do them you know i don't I have no idea how many listeners you have and if we're gonna get 10 20 or 100 um people responding but um i might do some of them and, and there's a drop down menu you might be able to select my name or you know you could hey why do you want coaching what are you working on what do you think's holding you back are you more interested in in motivation or accountability or behavioral assessments there's a little form to fill out to give us an idea of how to hit the ground running and really make sure that we can help people when we offer complimentary coaching steve one there's a lot of reasons we do it um it, it's a competitive advantage that i built my business on like i became a world-class coach offering two complimentary sessions and enrolling people that way um, a lot of coaches struggle to enroll clients. They want to help people, but they don't know how to get clients. Um, never mind that I can teach people how to do these two comp sessions. But the reason, among all the reasons, nine or 10 of them, that we offer two comp sessions, one of them is so that you know right away it's not a sales pitch. We're not going to try to sell you something at the end of the first session. You, you know, if you like the first session, if you get the real value because we want to give you real coaching, you get a second free session. Then at the end of that one, we're going to sell you. I'm joking. I'm, you know, if you want to move forward, we'll talk about it. But, you know, to be funny, it's up to two and then it's up to you. It's up to two. Then maybe you will have gotten a clue, right? It's up to two. Maybe we're through. You know, a lot of times I've helped people in one session. They didn't even need the second session. The first one was so good. That's all they needed. So they didn't need to enroll in coaching or the second free session. We figured it out right there in the first session. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of different experiences there, but um, I, we believe very strongly your, your listeners don't need to be worried about a, a veiled sales pitch or, you know, what's that behind you sign here. Um, we like people to budget up to 90 minutes for the first session and then another hour for the second session, because we believe in what we're doing and we, we believe in coaching. And we think that when people have professional people to talk to, they're just going to go out and do a better job in the world. And so, you know, that's our contribution. Love that. And again, that's get a clue, K L U dot net. G -E yeah, K L U. Yeah, for clue back. Yeah, K you said it beginning. The key thing is it's not C L U E, it's K L U. So G E T A K L U dot net. That's the other thing. It's not dot com, it's dot net. Well, Jeffrey, I appreciate you spending some time here with us on the show today. Oh, man, it's been great to ha uh, be here. And thank you so much for having me, Steve. What are the things that you're responsible for? What are you accountable to and for? And how can you live the best version of yourself while it's called today? How can you live as a thriving entrepreneur? Let's take a quick commercial break and then we'll be back to talk a little bit more here on Thriving Entrepreneur. author who's on a mission stand out with your brand out <laughs> check this out guys yep everything's marketing and marketing is everything your existing book can become a best-selling book or even hey like mine a number one international best-selling book in five days listen if your business isn't known by everybody it's obscurity and that's death right the same thing is true for your book if you're not happy with the way your book is performing you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet kind of feeling go to yourbestsellertoday.com schedule a talk with steve
believe. It's risk-free. It's guaranteed. It's proven. We've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve. Reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now. What are you waiting for? Grab a pen. Here we go. All you got to do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. We're going to jump right back into our next guest. I really encourage you, listen up. This is a great book and an author that has some really insight into some things that we need to be responsible for and hold ourselves accountable to. Join me in welcoming John Nance. Hey, John, how are you doing today? Steve, I'm good. Thanks for the time. Excited to talk with you. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Yeah. Well, um, you know, as a, as a day job, I've been a, a management consultant doing, you know, strategy projects for about 10 years. And uh, I took, um, so that's, you know, ma- major hat I wear. And then I also wrote a book called uh, Rediscovering Republicanism, Renewing America with Our Founding Vision and Values that was actually out um, of November last year. Um, it's American uh, political history book. Um, and that's my other big passion is, uh, is American political history. That sounds like a lot of fun. So um, let's start off with some basic definitions of rediscovering republicanism. Um, How do you define republicanism? Let's just start there with the basics. (laughs) Right. Okay, good question. Um, We got to go back all the way back to first principles. So what we're what we mean uh, by that in the title is really a republic. And when you look at kind of democracies, you know, if you go back to ancient Greece and Athens, they had what we call a direct democracy, which is literally everybody in a community kind of coming together to vote on legislation themselves. And we still actually have that. There are some New England towns where there's direct democracy, where you'll have everybody in the town will come and vote on whether to increase taxes for a road, for example. So you have um, direct democracy, but the model that's really taken off uh, subsequent to ancient Athens was uh, a republic where the citizens, uh, which would include, Steve, folks like me and you and and, and our listeners, the vast majority of our listeners are citizens. We vote on people to represent us, our representatives. And because we're represented, that's where republic comes from. It's a representative democracy where we elect people to to take care of our political affairs so we can sort of go about our our daily lives with, uh, with, with less burden. That's a republic. Okay. Um, and when we're talking about rediscovering it, um, what parts of it have we lost? Yeah, good question. So um, I'll step back one second and then we'll, we'll talk about what was lost. Um, what I talk about in the book is, you know, we've had republics for almost 2,500 years in the, country, in, you know, in the world. And one thing that I think very few Americans know is that when the American Republic was created in 1787, it was a very notable event in in sort of world history. Uh, The United States was the uh, first uh, modern country with a written constitution. We're the first country with a written bill of rights that applied against the citizens. We're the first country that really had what we call federalism where you have local governments, for us, it's the states, and a federal government, both of which have certain political powers. So those are sort of three really unique features. Those were all basically innovations. They had not really been done before. They've been done in sort of different ways, um, but not in the sort of, you know, the way that we did them here in the, in the United States. So when I say rediscovering republicanism, I'm basically saying rediscovering American republicanism. There was something really special um, about republicanism in the United States context, those things being the individual retains a number of, of rights that we haven't given over to the government, that there are multiple layers of government, each of which have different types of powers, the state governments, local governments, the federal government. And because the government doesn't do everything, there was an expectation that 
um, other institutions in society would do really important things, right? So local hospitals, nonprofits, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, right? Those, none of those are governmental in, entities, and yet they do incredibly important things. Um, and we call that civil society. So those were kind of three features that I think um, when, we'll, you know, when you look back, when we look back, you know, humans look back hundreds of years from now, the, the, the United States is really going to stand out um, for those three things. It really makes us distinctive and special um, in the scope of, 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 of human history. Okay. So, um, and a person needs to read the whole book um, and maybe even have a whole conversation with you to really get all of it. But um, if you were going to pick one thing that is really missing or really needs to be renewed from the founding vision, what, what would that be? <laughs> one thing. Okay. That's tough. Give me a second. It's hard to, you know, there's, there, there are different things. I mean, what I would say, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of go around the question a little bit, Steve, and I know we only have so much time, but I think that the three things, I feel really confident in the three things. Okay. So let me just say them really quickly and then we can decide if we want to go deeper on one. The first is individual sovereignty, right? When this country was founded, the a core idea was that individuals retained certain rights that the government has no prerogative to overrule. We are talking about things like free speech. We're talking like things to trial by jury. We're talking about things like access to political office outside, you know, with no religious test, right? The government can't make rules. We can't send people to Congress and they can decide what we can say and no, not say. We have a first amendment. So the concept there was individual sovereignty. We retain as individuals many powers. And I think a lot of Americans have forgotten that. We just take it for granted. We don't think about it. It's super important. Second is federalism. When the country was founded, the state governments were basically in charge of most domestic political life, regulations, education, health. And we now live in a society where the federal government has done more and more of those things. And I argue in the book, and I think I, I lay out, I think it would be uh, very beneficial for us to move back or move forward to a world where our local governments and state governments, which we where we have a lot more influence and control, um, actually have more of a say over our political lives. And then I think the third thing is civil society. Um, I think Americans, some Americans, not all, have started to get into this idea that if anything's wrong, the federal government should fix it, right? There's this sort of assumption on the part of some folks that that's the right response. I understand that, I, empath I can empathize with that. And what I talk about in the book is, I don't think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that the federal government is actually capable of solving a lot of really important problems, right? There's a reason the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation right? They're the ones eliminating disease in the country, excuse me, in the world, not the United States government, right? Despite the fact that the Gates Foundation doesn't have that much money relative to the federal government, we're not surprised that it's the Gates Foundation, right, solving world health problems. We're not surprised that it's SpaceX, a private company that's going to get humans to Mars, not NASA. But if you step back, you're like, that's, that's, that's sort of befuddling. It's like, that's pretty wild that, the departments of the federal government with massively more resources, they're not solving these problems. So I think um, my view, and I talk about this obviously a lot more in depth in the book, is that Americans need to just take stock of that. And we, there are huge problems we need to address. I think we need to let go of the assumption that the federal government is the best institution in our country to solve those problems. I don't think the evidence supports that. And I think there's an alternative ways to get after these things. And I just named two um, that I think uh, that I think would work a lot better for us. Now, I can just tell that there are people who do not agree with your political view who are now sure. throwing things at whatever listening device they're <laughs> listening and or they've just turned sure. it off. Um, although, yeah. isn't it fun in political? In political stuff, when we hear something that we don't agree with, rather than just turning it off, we, you know, rant and rave and holler and yell and hate the person. Um. <laughs> you have to work on that, Steve. And I, you know, and I look, I, I get that. And if anyone 
has turned this off and or is still listening and, and disagrees with it. Um, you know, I just want to let people know I respect 98% of America's Americans views on politics. And, you know, um, I'm eager to live in a country where we can listen to people that we disagree with. I'm, I'm happy to listen to people that I disagree with. I know that I don't have a monopoly um, on all the right answers. And um, anyways, I, I just want to join you in saying I, I, I do hope that we can, uh, we can listen more and debate more and get le- and get angry less. I don't, I don't think it's good for our health to be as upset as we've been the last few years. Mm, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, so let's, let's talk about that just a little bit more. I don't want to go too deep into the negative, but that's okay. what do you think is the stopping point for people who have you know, all the way going back into school when they were taught it, um, for really embracing what it is that you're talking about. I mean, it seems like, and uh, maybe this is expressing my personal biases, but it seems like embracing personal freedom, um, you know, would be something everybody wants. And, you know, limited government would be something that, you know, none of us want anybody invaded into our houses. But uh, if you had to pick something, what, what would you say is the thing that's keeping them from having that viewpoint? Hmm. Hmm. It's a great question. <laughs> I mean, look, we, we could write a whole book about that. Um, if I had to boil it down, um, I mean, I think the first thing is that there's the, um, I mean, probably it's comfort and security. If you go back to Franklin Roosevelt, um, he called it the four freedoms. You look at social security, you look at Medicare, right? These, um, I think they give, they have given people and until recent times when the programs, you know, really aren't financially solvent, but for decades, right? I think it gave people some comfort to be like, hey, in my old age, I'm going to get a check from the federal government, right? I mean, but I think there's problems with the program, but look, we have to give credit where credit's due. That is true. Um, you know, people are worried, hey, if I lose my job, you know, can I get an un- unemployment check to kind of keep me going? So I, I think I think the well-intentioned argument here is that, um, you know, the, the, the free market can be tough sometimes and it doesn't necessarily um, provide as much security and comfort as, as, as people might want. And so the federal government can step in and, and take care of some of those problems. I mean, I think that's what I think that's I think that's what a lot of people believe. They want a little bit of more security and comfort than they might be able to procure on their own. Um, and, I, and I think that's a legitimate argument. Going back to your point, I'm, I, I understand people of good faith hold that view, and I can I can understand it. I don't agree with it whole, wholly, but um, but I think that's kind of where folks are coming from. And I get that. And then you know I would just say in the book, what I'm basically arguing is you know some of those features. I think are really important. Like, I don't think we do want people in their old age to be in poverty, right? If you've worked 30 years of your life and, you know, I don't think we want someone to, to not have access to, to basic necessities after a life of hard work. Um, but we don't need social security to do that. Right. And, and we're in a situation now where social security, as we know it, um, where the program's not solvent. So I just say in the book, you know, there's legitimate things that, some of these programs are trying to do. I think we can keep those things, but we can do them in much better ways and um, in ways that are much more consistent with the values of that make this country really distinctive. Mm, I like that. So as kind of a unifying thing, what is, what is a first step that somebody really, that loves the country, regardless of their political view, uh, what's something that they can do to get more involved and help us really rediscover, you know, the values that the the country was set on, intended on? Mm. You know, I think the most helpful thing is, quite frankly, really understanding them and um, being able to articulate them really simply. And I look, I'm not a new, <laughs> I mean, obviously I wrote this book, I'm biased, I, uh, I wrote the book. Um, I think the book does do a good job of that, of just laying out like what are those values, so that when you're having a conversation with someone that you disagree with, you know, and you could take Social Security as an example, you could say, "Look, 
I get where you're coming from, but you know, my belief is that it, we should start with individual rights. And I think I can take care of myself, right? I think I can take care of my own retirement or at least give me a, at least give me a shot, right? I've got an IRA. I might have a 401k. Can I keep like half my social security and see if I can take care of myself? And if I can't, you know, fine, then maybe there's a role for the federal government, but most Americans could handle that. We don't live in a world where that's possible, right? Social security takes 14% of your income and there's no option there, right? That's a requirement. And so I think understanding the values, being able to articulate them really clearly, and then being able to link those to very specific changes that we could make. I think that's a really powerful combination. And I think that that's what motivated me to write this book. I love that so much. So let's, uh, you know, what would you like to see people? I mean, other than, of course, get the book. Um, what would you like to see people do with the information that's contained in your book? What, what would be your best next step? Yeah. You know, look, I, um, I am not, I did not write this book with any, any desire to enter political office. So I just want your listeners to know I wrote this book because I genuinely deeply care. And I, I, I biked across the country. I've met, I mean, like I'm sure many of your listeners, hundreds and thousands of Americans and, you know, my sense of it is we have something really special going on here. Um, and as amorphous as this sounds, I genuinely believe that thinking a little bit about these values and thinking about a vision of a positive vision of the future, um, I think is a really powerful next step. Some people are like, I just want to go vote. I want to go work on politics. I want to go, you know, whatever people might want to do. My sense is that culture and ideas are upstream of politics, right? If we really want to change politics, we have to change our ideas. We have to change our culture. And so I would say, even though that's not as actionable as some people might set think, I would really encourage listeners who are inspired by this or interested by this. You know, I really think just thinking about this and getting clear on the, on the values, getting clear on the vision and being able to share that with, with the majority of Americans that are open-minded um, and kind of building a movement uh, around this positive vision. Um, look, that might not pay off in a year or two or in five years, but I think in 30 or 40 or 50 years from today, um, I think that's the most powerful thing we can do. Mm, I love that. So the book is called Rediscovering Republicanism, Renewing America with Our Founding Vision and Values. It's written by John Nance. Uh, it is available on Amazon and other places where you can get books. John, I really appreciate you writing the book and spending some time with us here on the show today. Yeah, Steve, it was my pleasure. Thanks for your questions and thanks for your time. Thanks to your listeners for listening as well. We have one more great guest here, another insight and another encouragement to you to really think about what are the things that you need to be accountable in your own life for you to be responsible for. We're going to jump right into this next guest. Don't even have time for a commercial break here. We're just going to jump right into talking about holding yourself accountable to the things that you should be responsible for here on Thriving Entrepreneur. With that said, let's jump right into it. Join me in welcoming Martin Sands. Hey, Martin, how you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Sure, um, sure thing. So um, my name is Martin Sands, and I currently run a hedge fund called Bequest Funds. And what we do is we help homeowners stay in their homes with payments they can afford while making a profit for our company. And uh, we serve an investor network nationwide with what we do. And, and uh, I love every minute of it. So, and it's so important people staying in their homes. I mean, especially with all the craziness of the last couple of years. Um, you know, let's talk about some of the elements of that. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, is it because they're in a loan that, they maybe shouldn't have gotten or is it what what normally causes that to happen for people 
Well, it could be a it could be the case that uh, they they uh, received a loan that they shouldn't have received, or um, but mostly it's due to um, life circumstances. So these are good individuals, and they qualified at some point as uh, a paper uh, borrowers, where they went to a bank and they got a Wells Fargo or Bank of America to extend a mortgage for them. And something happened in their life, whether it was a health related or a divorce or a job loss. And these individuals weren't able to make their payments according to the, according to payment terms. And so the loans go into default. And what our company does is we purchase these loans from banks at a discount. And we work with the homeowners to understand where they are financially now. Um, how, did they get their job back? Did they get their health back and things like that? And we understand what they can afford to make in terms of a payment. And we work to create a payment plan with them to help keep them in their home. Mm, that is so awesome. So, um, you know, and a lot of people have lost their jobs and some are getting back to work now. But um, if a person lost their job and now they're working in something that maybe didn't pay as well as the last one. Um, do you have the ability to help them kind of grow back to where they were as it were? Absolutely. And that's why we, that's, you know, one of the benefits of buying these mortgages in at a discount is it allows us some flexibility to work with the homeowner. And since we own the mortgage itself, we have full autonomy to make decisions um, to, that, that will benefit the homeowner, such as um, we can extend the term, we can lower the interest rate, we can, um, you know, we, we can do a whole host of things to, uh, to accommodate the homeowner and help them keep in their home. I love that. So obviously they need to have a job in order for you or some source of income in order for you to uh, help them. What are some other things that they, um, you know, they either have to have or would keep them from being able to get your help? Sure. So, I mean, there's cases where we talk to individuals and they just want to get away from the home. So they, you know, they may be retired, they may be on fixed income, they may be thinking of downsizing. And so, and so we work with them in a compassionate manner to help them exit the property, um, you know, whether it's a short sale or, or just um, some, some type of, uh, in some cases, they sign over the property via a deed in lieu, where we take ownership of the property in exchange for debt forgiveness. So it really depends on the situation. We have a number of different ways we can help the homeowner. Sometimes that's easiest just to, you know, wash your hands of that. So in that case, what impact would a debt in lieu uh, type mm -hmm. of quote unquote walk away, what impact would that have on a person's credit? Um, if we if we offer a deed in lieu, actually, it has no impact on their credit because we're not going to report it to their credit. So so they uh, they get to have a fresh start in life. And and really, it's about, um, you know, it, it's about it's about working with the homeowner to create a win win situation. So that's what we kind of look at for our company. So uh, if the homeowner wins, then we win as a company whether it's creating a loan modification that creates a 30-year stream of income to our company, or, or we help someone that is just ready to move past the property that they're in, and we help resell it, and then you know we make a profit uh, on that transaction as well. So then you wrote the book also, Note Investing Made Easier. I'm assuming in this, you're teaching people how to essentially do what your company does. Is that correct? Yes, in, in a way that's uh, ethical, in a way that's, um, th that, that creates a social good. There are, um, when, when I came into the mortgage loan space in 2013 and uh, formed a hedge fund, what I learned early on is that there are a lot of hedge funds where, where their business practice is just to displace families. So it's to buy these mortgages, um, you know, at a discount to, um, 
you know, uh, get, get the homeowner out so they can obtain the property. And what, what I determined is that's not, that, that's not our business model. We want to do the opposite. So um, we want to keep people in their homes. And so I wrote the book because I felt compelled to share that there's another way to do this in a more compassionate uh, way, but also a more profitable way because you're creating all these streams of income for yourself. And I think, I think that resonated with a lot of people. So if you buy the mortgage and, and if any of this, you're like, well, I can't really tell you that's kind of inside information, but so if you buy the mortgage at a discount, let's just use real easy numbers. Um, mm -hmm. They owe $300,000. You buy it at 250. Mm -hmm. Okay. Totally made up numbers. Um, yes. But then when you negotiate with them, you keep their balance owing at the $300,000. Is that correct? Um, you know, not always. I, you know, so, sometimes um, it just depends on the situation. Uh, you know, we have flex. Obviously, we're not going to we're not going to create a loan payment. that's where we're going to lose money, uh, you know, that we wouldn't be in business for very long if we did that. Uh, but however, we the first objective is to understand where they are currently financially, what they can afford monthly. And, uh, and we want to work a plan that that's sustainable, because if if we fail to do that, then they're just going to default again. That makes total sense. So do you ever just do initial, you know, loans right from the beginning or do you only ever do um what did you call it distressed loans mm -hmm. yeah so so we never we we do not originate mortgages with our company so we buy all mortgages that have already been originated by a major lending institution and uh what and, and furthermore what we do is um, we also have an income fund called bequest funds that buys in these performing mortgages that have been loan modified after re-seasoning has taken place. So in other words, after the mortgage um, has been uh, modified and, and the homeowner has their job back or has remarried or something to that effect, and payments are made on time for a 12-month period, it's, it's what we call um, being seasoned. So we buy those mortgages into our income fund and we pay our investors out at a 9% annual return and make our payments monthly to the investors. And you're paying a 9% uh, return, you know, even now where mortgage rates are, you know, almost zero. <laughs> I mean, as close as you can yeah. get without being there. <laughs> Yeah, so these these mortgages are you know were originated at a certain interest rate. Um, you know, in most cases, our average coupon rate, which is another fancy way of saying interest rate, is at six and a half percent. So um, how we how we are able to buy mortgages with an interest rate at six and a half percent and pay investors out at a nine percent is just this. We actually buy these mortgages in a, in a re-performing state at a discount from other hedge funds. So if you have a hedge fund that, let's say, bought a $100,000 mortgage at $40,000 and created a loan modification and got 12 months worth of on-time payments, they're going to sell that mortgage to us, the $100,000 mortgage to us, at, say, $75,000. So the hedge fund still makes money and we're, and we're able to buy it in at an 11, 12% yield where we're able to comfortably pay a 9% to investors. So many questions. We won't have time to cover all of them in, in one segment here on the radio show, but um, what does a person need to do to be then one of your investors? Do they need to be at a certain qualification level or do you pretty much take anybody to invest in your fund yes yeah, so uh they need to be an accredited investor uh where where they have uh at least one million dollars of net worth excluding the, the equity in their in their primary residence or they need to be a single person earning two hundred thousand dollars annually or a or jointly at three hundred thousand dollars annually so if they if they meet those 
qualifications, they are considered an accredited investor and they are qualified to invest in our fund. Okay. So interesting. It's, you know, not something I know anything about, but it's so fun to learn about. So in your book, um, what, what is it designed for? Who, who would you like to see read your book? Sure. So I've been an entrepreneur almost 20 years. So I'm really speaking to that entrepreneur or that individual that understands that they need to take control of their finances and they cannot rely on a single stream of income from an employer or a dual income whereby the, the husband and, and wife both have jobs. This is the individual that is looking for more, looking to achieve more financially, looking to achieve more autonomy in their life, looking to obtain freedom of time in their life as well. That's who I'm speaking to. So with doing this, um, knowing that you're buying distressed mortgages, um, how often do you get, I don't know how to say it any other way, how often do you get burnt? Sure. So, um, you know, everything uh, with investing is always about buying. So making your money when you buy is, as you kind of, you know, hear that cliche. And so, um, you know, we have a very good track record where we're able to help homeowners um, about 90% of the time with our portfolio that we purchase. So, you know, again, I've been doing this nine years. And, uh, and so I've built systems around due diligence where I'm able to um, understand with a good deal of confidence what the resolution is going to be on the mortgage loan before we purchase it. That makes sense. All right. Well, um, for somebody who is, uh, you know, having some issues with their mortgage and hasn't defaulted yet, at what point is the best time for them to engage with you? Well, actually, um, so we actually don't provide services with uh, loan consultation. We actually purchase the actual mortgage itself from a financial institution. So we assume all rights and responsibilities of the originating lender. So we are essentially the bank at this point. So actually, we don't, we don't provide consultation to anybody. We, we are the mortgage company itself. Perfect. All right. Well, so much more uh, for people to learn from that. Um, but Martin, I really appreciate you spending some time here with us on the show today. Yes. Thank you, Steve amazing work getting done in this world. Think of the things that you can do, the things that your business already does do, the things that your business could do even more so to make a difference in the world. All we have each and every day is the day called today. And all we can do with each of those days is be the best us that we can be while it's called today. Let tomorrow take care of it and worry about itself, but maximize while it's called today because you are uniquely brilliant. You were created for a purpose and the world does need you. Once we learn and really give ourselves permission to only deal with the things that we need to be responsible for, to hold ourselves accountable to the things that are our responsibilities and then let the rest of it go, to not worry about yesterday, not worry about tomorrow, but simply maximize today and be all that we can be in this day so that we can live as a thriving entrepreneur. Thanks so much for spending some time here with me. I hope until we're together again next time that you're happy, safe, warm, and loved, and you have a great week. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. 
<laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet kind of feeling, go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Schedule a talk with Steve. It's risk-free. It's guaranteed. It's proven. We've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve. Reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now. What are you waiting for? Grab a pen. Here we go. All you got to do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.